0: Thanks for listening to The Swearing In Podcast, where you'll hear the origin stories of those who chose to serve. So ground your gear, take a seat, and listen up. The Swearing In Podcast starts right now.
1: Welcome! I am Marty Smith, and this is the Swearing In Podcast. Today is part two of my interview with Army Brigadier General retired Chris Petty. After leaving the active duty Army in 1991, General Petty joined the Colorado Army National Guard and took command of Charlie Company, 1st of the 131st Aviation Regiment in Eagle, Colorado. That unit ran the High Altitude Aviation Training Site, or HATS. In 1994, he moved to Buckley Air National Guard Base and assumed command of Alpha Company, second of the 135th Aviation Battalion. After getting promoted to major in 1996, he became the Battalion Assistant S-3. After 18 months, he was reassigned to become the Deputy Commander of the Colorado Weapons of Mass Destruction Response Team, which was later renamed to the Civil Support Team. After two years, he left to go back to the Guard and took over as the 2nd of the 135th Battalion, S3. His next assignment was as the Headquarters Commandant of the Joint Force Headquarters of Colorado. Later, he assumed command of 2nd Battalion 135th Aviation Regiment and in 2006, he led the battalion's deployment to Balad, Iraq. Supporting Joint Special Operations Command. So this concludes your pre-brief. Now let's get on to part two of my interview with General Chris Petty. Uh, we left off. You had just taken command of the National Guard. Okay. And... So i just gone to the
0: unit I talked about an Eagle with 15 Hueys? No. Okay. I thought, well... Was, you, I'm the one
1: at Buckley, I thought. Okay. So Did you I, go to Buckley
0: first? No, I came. I went up oh, to Eagle okay. first. You went to Eagle. Took command of that unit where I talked about the old Vietnam guys. Yes. And me. I and didn't realize that was Eagle. Little, yeah, I was up in Eagle. What was that unit? It was the first. It was the first of the 131st Charlie Company, first of the 131st. Yeah. Assault helicopter company. And it was an Eagle? Yeah, it was an Eagle. Wow. Yeah, I know. Weird. I mean, there's still, there's not really, no, there's not a military unit in Eagle anymore. The reason the Colorado Guard did it was because we had a high altitude training school up there for helicopters. Yeah. So logistically it made eminent sense because you, you've got to maintain helicopters up there for the school. Sure. You've got maintenance facility guys on full-time pay anyway. So now you're hosting a unit up there. So there was a lot of positive, uh,
1: was it a formal school that like people were getting certified? Oh, out yeah.
0: Of that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. In fact, the biggest customers were foreign militaries and special operations. Wow. Yeah. Because it really flying helicopters in high altitude yeah. is a dangerous business. You know, you talked about the snafu up on the, you know, the Hindu Kush with yeah, the yeah. Chinooks and stuff. Right. Right. I mean, that's a power, it's power management. That's high altitude, drastic effects on aviation lift helicopter yeah. lift. And if you don't have your shit together, you're going to die. Wow. So that schoolhouse Jeez. has saved countless lives, I'm sure. There was uh the infamous is it
1: soar? Uh, uh the, yeah,
0: the 160th Yeah.
1: Yeah. were they around then or yes. not till later. Oh, they, no, they were
0: around. Yeah. Okay. Uh yeah, they were around even probably when I first started Eagle, although I didn't really know about them. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not sure how the how they weave together at all, but but uh the 160th definitely sent a lot of students into the hats it's called hats high altitude high altitude aviation training site no kidding and Colorado guard runs it and it's kind of world renowned it's a small school obviously yeah. Yeah. they have like at any one time it's like eight to ten students i mean that's it sure and uh but yeah it's fantastic
1: that's what uh, yeah that's what. So we I'm, left I was up at so.
0: Eagle as a young company was commander too yeah this is 92 okay young company commander and uh I talked about the flying club and it was kind of the old national guard yeah it's interesting when i got yeah. there and i'm i was kind of that first wave of active duty guys after the peace dividend remember the great peace <laughs> dividend in 1991 or whatever the cold war was over actually right. it probably started in 90 because it was before desert storm kicked off yeah we didn't even know Desert Storm was going to happen because it was the big peace dividend. It's
1: like around uh, around when the wall came down.
0: Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. yeah, the wall came down in eighty nine, if mm-hmm. I recall correctly. Yep. After that, it was the peace dividend hat trickling through the army of and all services, and it was officers like me that are like, "Hey, you know, I signed up to be a warrior. This future looks really boring. We talked about that last time. Uh, I might think about getting out. You know, the right. army's letting me out of right. a five point a five year West Point obligation, as long as I serve in the reserves, which I'm happy to. Sure. And so I got out and I was, the point of this story is I was kind of a first wave of officers coming out of the active duty army, going into these national guard units, which were, I mean, fine units, Yeah. but they hadn't been challenged with some of the rigors of, you know, high intensity training, big collective training goals and concepts. And so, so it was a culture shock. It was a bit of a culture shock. I was happy to experience the culture shock, but one of the things I'm really proud of is we built that unit slowly, but surely into a really competent, yeah. fine-tuned air assault company from the ingredients of a bunch of great patriots, very good Vietnam pilots, sure. but no foundation of collective training and air assault operations and all that kind of stuff that really goes into complex Army aviation operations.
1: Well, in every operation.
0: Yeah. And so it was fantastic journey. Yeah. That little two-year, three-year journey was fantastic and rewarding.
1: Wow, up at Eagle.
0: Yeah, no up in the mountains of Colorado. So you're, I mean, you are pushing these single-engine Hueys to their limit. You're, you're at 11,000 feet routinely doing yeah. LZs and extractions at 11. Sometimes we're up at 12,000 feet. You talk to a regular Army aviator today, that's not familiar flying in the mountains. And then they'll hear 12,000 feet and go, holy crap. You know, that's, that's dangerous. For sure. Just the elevation. Can you give and, me, you probably can,
1: but, um, for us who don't know, yeah, we know there's less air, there's less yeah. lift, yeah. but what's the single most common mistake you make at altitude?
0: Well, you, there's two things that kind of jump to my mind, even after years of not flying. One is you have to anticipate everything. So if you, oh. if you see your landing zone in sight and it's three kilometers away, whether you're flying goggles or, or regular daytime flying, you have to anticipate because you know, when you get to that objective or that landing zone, you probably, you do not have the power to arrest your rate of, rate of descent, and to come oh, in like you would normally but you're so trained as a regular army aviator to be able to just pull the power arrest your rate of descent arrest your approach land everything's fine but it's like it's like pulling a twenty pound trailer you know in your little oh. pickup truck for the first time yeah you know really really dangerous yeah yeah (laughs) you can't break like you thought you could you can't turn like you thought you could it just takes training and so you've got to anticipate all your movements and reactions in the cockpit way early and then the other thing is you have to have an escape plan you know the the biggest things and when i was flying an eagle remember we're flying in single engine hueys Mm do you get Because of the and I won't bore your non-aviator listeners too much, but there's a reason helicopters have a tail rotor. The tail rotor prevents the helicopter from spinning through, you know, the gyroscopic motion. Like if you sit in a swivel chair and spin something above your head, your chair will actually spin the opposite direction. Yeah, you know, torque anti-torque. Well, in the mountains, your your tail rotor is losing lift too. Oh, and in some sense, because it's spinning faster. It's losing more lift. So now huh. all of a sudden you run out of tail rotor, uh, effectiveness. And so your helicopter, as you come into that LZ and you start pulling up your collective to arrest your rate of descent and make your landing, all of a sudden your helicopter is spinning to the right.
1: Because it, you've
0: oh lost your God. tail rotor lift. Now your helicopter is spinning uncontrollably to the right and you can't stop it. Wow. The only way to stop it is to actually reduce power. See what, I, see what I mean by an escape plan? Yeah. You've got to either fly down the face of that mountain off oh, to the man. right because your helicopter is going to spin to the right whether you like it or not. Uh-huh. So you either, you reduce power, which means you're going down now. You better be turning down right down slope to pick up airspeed again or you're oh, dead. Man. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, jeez. Yeah. yeah, you don't think about those things. Sure, sure. And that's why a lot of av- aviators to this day kill themselves in high altitude terrain because they just don't... You don't train for these things.
1: Well, sure. And you can talk it all you want, but until that pilot feels it. Right. Or feels the lack of it.
0: Right. Can you imagine driving down your car on the highway and the moment you get in trouble, like you're blinded by mud on your windshield, normally you tap your brakes, right? Sure. Now I'm telling you, don't tap your brakes. You have to accelerate (laughs) all of a sudden. You've never trained for this. It's definitely not intuitive. It's not natural. In fact, your whole life you've been doing the opposite. Now I'm telling you to do the opposite of that. Wow see that's that's the problem
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah and and trust me when i say army aviators younger army aviators when you get in trouble you pull you pull power you get out of there whether it's yeah. a, whether it's dust in the desert you're blind you can't see anything you pull power you get out you want to get the hell is out of it. pull and pitch is yeah that what that pull, is? pull pitch okay. which is a collective pull pitch yeah but you can't do that in the mountains Fine. it exacerbates your problem
1: Man, that is crazy.
0: It's counterintuitive. It's yeah. it's really the cause of a lot of mountain high altitude accidents.
1: Yeah. How long did the school? How many weeks did the school
0: last? No, this this school is on one week, so it really packs. Only one it, week. Yeah, oh, so you just yeah, get some you get familiarization cl- classroom stuff. classroom fly 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 classroom fly classroom fly. You're flying your butt off. So, uh, but yeah, it's a really high impact class. So this was
1: a. A national school run by the guard.
0: Yeah, National Aviation School run by the Colorado National Guard. Yep.
1: God, that sounds like a match made in heaven. You never it lose is. that experience.
0: No, right? you never lose the experience. And the great thing is, you get all these aviators in Colorado that all of a sudden, I mean, these guys are good mountain pilots. So, oh yeah. So when we deploy to Iraq, which we'll get to, I'm taking with me pilots that understand power management. And when you're in an uh-huh. A model Blackhawk, and you're loading it up at night at you know 120 degrees in the desert, it's the same thing as being at... 12,000 feet as far as the helicopter cares you don't have the power margin of power to make any mistakes on the landing zone it's the same thing if your helicopter's too heavy it's kind of like being at 12,000 feet and not having enough air yeah yeah so it really was a benefit to deployment actually okay
1: you're just doing sitting there how many classes do you do in um in a in a year
0: how many classes like does once a school month? do? One a month. Oh, they're doing them back to back. Oh, they are? Yeah, they're doing it back to back. Oh, wow. Yeah, so they'll probably do at least three classes a month. Yeah. They might get, yeah. I forgot how they work because I never worked full time at the schoolhouse. Uh, but I think it's three weeks of classes. One week they get to recover aircraft and do their administrative stuff that everyone needs to do. Oh, man. But great, great schoolhouse. The High Altitude, high altitude Army Aviation Training Site, HATS, Colorado Guard, awesome. It's a jewel of aviation.
1: And you stayed there till when?
0: I stayed there till, and now I'm giving you approximate dates here so yeah, you sure. can't quote me on this, but I think I stayed there till 94. Why would you leave? Because I'm a captain. I'm a commander of the company. Yeah. There is no battalion up there. That's as high as you can oh, go. Oh. So once you command that company, yeah. you can't stay. You're, you know, a, a warrant officer could stay and, you know, get promoted and fly but a commission officer has to go to his next valuable assignment. Sure. And for me, that's a battalion staff job. Uh, Even in know, the guard, they, they want yeah. you to progress. Same, same thing. Yeah. yeah. It's the same career ladder in aviation. I told you last time, same flight requirements, same flying hours, everything. Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah. It's kind of crazy, but, but really required. Yeah. So,
1: so I went, proficient. so
0: after that job, which I was one of the highlights of my life. Yeah. Young, you know, Absolutely. young captain taking yeah. over first company command with this culture clash <laughs> and it was just so, it was such a great laboratory for being a good commissioned officer. How do you navigate this and get serious about training? And not that these guys weren't serious about training, right. but they didn't have some of the missing ingredients to put it together, you know, in an army way. That's all. Do you have a first sergeant? Yeah, I did. I had a couple first sergeants. Um, and they're, you know, they were, they were good, but you know, sometimes you get first sergeants that are. Really good mechanics in aviation. aviation. Oh, yeah, and then sometimes as a first sergeant, they don't quite make the transition to first sergeant roles. But I gotcha. But if I recall, I had one really good strong guy and one not so strong guy. But you know, you muddle along. You, you did have the you, didn't you didn't make have the
1: conversations work. like, take it easy with that active duty stuff, sir. No, I, yeah, I got
0: I got that from my warrant officers. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, of, course yeah, yeah. War, of course you, know, you aviation did. Yeah, right? know, aviation's a little different than most branches. I got that from my warrant officers plenty, but it was good. It all it was great i think i mentioned last time that some of my finest uh proudest things are when these old guys come up to me oh yeah and they say you really really made a difference in that unit yeah. and i was i've never been so proud of the army since i even during my time in vietnam as when we were in that flight company up at eagle wow. and what we did with that wow. unit. yeah i mean it was a it was a big compliment <sighs> yeah so yeah. it was a wonderful experience so i moved down to I moved down to Buckley and it was a bit unusual because they had an opening for a company command. So I just come oh. out of company command
1: yeah.
0: and lo and behold, they have a company down in Eagle of Huey's at the time, still about to transition to Blackhawks, but Huey's. And I took command of Alpha Company, second to 135th, stationed at Buckley, yeah. which Buckley was Buckley Air Force Base, as most people know it. And, um, not back then. Yeah, yeah, it was well, yeah, back then it was probably Buckley Air National Guard. It was Guard. The Air National Guard. Yeah, yeah you're probably right. Yeah. yeah. Um and that was a different Yeah, that was a that was a same type of company, but it was organized differently. Okay. I think they had they were they were changing out the MTOs, the table yeah. of allowances for the units and uh this company still had like the mess section and the motor pool in the maintenance oh, section really? and all. Oh, yeah, so it was still a larger yeah. MTO, but it wasn't as big as the MTO that I came from from Eagle. Yeah. So I'm not I, I don't remember exactly what the differences were, but it's not really that important. But the nice thing is I got to command a second flight company.
1: Yeah, that's pretty Which awesome.
0: is pretty awesome as you know. <laughs> so I would love
1: to have a second chance at command to yeah. f- correct all the things exactly. I did on the first one. Exactly.
0: You know? I used to I used to joke that I mean there's a lot of truth in this, but the first year you learn the job. The second year, you make all your improvements yeah. and changes and good things. And the third year, you get to just fine tune it if you're lucky. But nobody sure. gets to stay a third year. No. So, you know, the next guy is now learning and then adjusting. That's kind of how kids go. Yeah, yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> First kid, you're learning. The yeah. second kid,
1: you got it a little bit better.
0: So my wife and I would tell you, by the fourth kid, you're like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, you do whatever. <laughs> you're, you're, you're good. Amazing.
1: What was the mission
0: at Buckley? Uh, the mission was you weren't training. No, yeah. I mean you weren't doing. No, we were, school. No, no, no school. we weren't doing the school. Don't don't misunderstand me. I, I hope I didn't confuse you. So our unit wasn't running the school. Uh, okay, we enough. had we had the benefit of those guys yeah. that were full time employees of the school being in our unit because you know. Oh, uh, I see. As a guardsman, see. you always have to have a unit job, a home unit, or right. as we call it, an M day job. You know, you got to be drilling with a unit. You got to go to war with a unit. Right. Even if you're a full-time mechanic working in a schoolhouse somewhere, you still got to be assigned to a unit to train and go to war with. So yeah, we had the right, benefit of right. that schoolhouse for those people. Okay. But the unit didn't run the schoolhouse.
1: But yeah, you weren't conducting classes. Right, right.
0: That so. wasn't us. Yeah. Uh, so we went up there for drill and AT, our annual training. And that was, that was okay. that. So when I came down to Buckley, it was a, it was a different mission. It wasn't. It wasn't as focused on the air assault mission because, for some reason, this MTO had changed. Like I said, the table mm-hmm. of allowance and equipment had changed, and it was more air movement, aerial resupply. So it was a little less more lift kind of. Yeah, missions. it was more yeah. of a general support aviation company kind okay. of role. Not that you couldn't be tasked to do an air assault operation, sure. but it wasn't your mainstay. In Eagle, that was supposed to be our mainstay of our mission set. So, oh, yeah. so of course, I took that very seriously. That's the pinnacle of utility helicopter operations is air assault, right? right? It's the most difficult, uh, demanding that you can get. So this unit was um, a little bit smaller. I don't remember exactly. I think it was eight Hueys. Uh, it had the full support package stuff in it, which presented, you know, nice capability if we wanted to just pick up and go to the field, which I did a lot. Yeah. I was one of those guys that said, hey, these <coughs> these soldiers are coming to drill to... To go to the field, get dirty, and go home tired, you know that was always my philosophy, which, which I think served us well.
1: Right. I mean, even though they're in the guard,
0: yeah, they want they're not
1: joining the guard. to sit in a the hangar. They,
0: exactly. They wanted yeah. to sit at PowerPoint briefings and stuff. And <laughs> right. PowerPoint was just coming around about this time, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I didn't want to bore them in classrooms. Yeah. Besides, this is real. This is serious business. I mean, you yeah. you've seen what the guard has become. You've seen it over sure. the last. 20 Absolutely. years. I mean, it is side by side with the active duty force and it has to be.
1: And those guys are, are running more individual they, deployments. They have than, to
0: now. So there's no choice. I mean, yeah. if you want to, if you take your role seriously as a commissioned officer, you're going to get your training done to preserve your soldiers' lives in combat. Of that's, that's the approach. So I always had that top of mind. Yeah. It doesn't matter where I was. Um, so anyway, it's just a slightly different mission. Just conducted down at Buckley. Uh, good stuff. Great, great, great aviation operations. We did some air assaults, but mostly we focused on, you know, resupply and sling loads. You know, external load operations. I mean, still difficult stuff. And down here, we were tasked to do search and rescues for real in the mountains, Uh and firefighting operations to support the locals. Which is firefighting operations. You know, when you're dropping water from a bucket out of the out of the you know off a sling load on a helicopter you are right on the edge of again that power management I'm gonna say. same considerations
1: yeah. so As you release all that weight yeah yeah right? and you're just oh, p- picking
0: up a full bucket of water you know even if it's only you know for a huey i think it was like 300 gallons of water or something but still 300 gallons oh, times right. eight pounds i mean it's a, it's a lot of weight yeah anyway so uh <laughs> i'm just saying it's still challenging operations yeah, yeah. but good good times good good stuff um 94 to 94 to well you didn't tell me i was gonna have to look at my like career timeline here 94 <laughs> to i'm doing that from 94 to 96 probably and then and then in 96 oh, ish definitely ish now you gotta um, go to battalion now i gotta go to the battalion you yeah. know this this young hard charging officer has to do some battalion do you have major time. on by then
1: Um, or they wait for you to get out of command.
0: No, definitely out of command. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I was, I was sent to the battalion three shop. So I'm, I'm the battalion assistant three. Ah, yeah. Love that job. Yeah. You're just nugging away (laughs) at plan. I mean, you know, we don't have the plan section, but it's plans and operations and op orders. And, you know, whether you're doing a field training exercise, as we call FTX, whether you're doing an FTX or going for your big two week annual training at Fort. At Fort Guernsey, Camp Guernsey up in Wyoming or oh, yeah. you know, Fort Carson yeah. down at- De- I
1: froze at both of those places. Yeah,
0: yeah. they're I mean, they're real good environments for <laughs> training. Are. Both of yeah, them are excellent. Are. We used to love Guernsey more because Fort Carson was so restrictive on- range What you can yeah. do, yeah. And Guernsey was like- I'm just uh, glad
1: somebody's up there.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we put out fires at yeah. Guernsey that we lit on the range with our helicopters that's great double training exactly yeah fort carson would have freaked out with that concept sure sure but but we did it and it was great so anyway we did a lot of that but as a battalion assistant three you're basically doing the op orders for the unit movements right right the big field problems and uh unfortunately
1: coordinating land and yeah exactly exactly
0: and uh Unfortunately in the guard, which is a fortunate, unfortunate story, you know, the, the fortunate, well, the unfortunate part of this side of the story is you don't have a lot of big higher headquarters require, you know, overlays and, uh, Intel and, you know, mock-up, uh, op orders that you can then nest into with your planning. So you got to create lots of stuff from scratch. Yeah two levels up, you know, what's the division doing? Yeah. You know, I'm writing. You got to write that. Yeah. (laughs) Cause you don't have a big 82nd airborne mother hanging over your head saying, here's what your plan is for the field problem. And here's what your objectives are. And here's your situation. And here's the enemy situation. You don't have much of that. So you make it up and you do the best you can. So I spent a lot of time doing that stuff.
1: When did you put major on? Oh
0: God. (laughs) Because uh, it leads me into
1: my next question.
0: I, I'm going to say.
1: You could tell me any year. I would believe it. Okay. I, I mean, I'm Nobody's really going to.
0: At this point, I'm kind of guessing because it was just so long ago. Maybe 96, maybe 95, 96, somewhere in there. So I'm guessing.
1: You've gone well past your necessary commitment Oh yeah. guard.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm loving it now. So, oh, you are? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, is that why you wanted to? Yeah. That's what I'm, I was going to ask. I'm yeah. loving it. I mean, I've got a business in Denver. I'm feeding my family. I'm growing my family. I'm going to drill. I'm a, you know, I'm a...
1: Well, at least you were in a job that you weren't like... Uh, this right. Right. This weekend sucks.
0: Yeah, I I was never that guy. That's pretty cool. You know, I have a good friend now who was my sergeant major when I was a brigade commander. We're still really close. We literally get together once a month. Oh, that's great. Yeah, Yeah. he's wonderful. And so we're really good friends. But we joke all the time about neither one of us showed up for work in the Army or even when we were part-time guardsmen. Yeah. Because I'll get to it. I I hinted at it last time. I wasn't a part-time guardsman for more than seven years. Seven years as a part-time guardsman. So even as a full-time guardsman, I never dreaded going to work. It was always a healthy challenge. I'm not saying I was Pollyanna, you know, whistling to work every morning. There was always... But you
1: never had, you never dreaded it. never dreaded, I
0: never dreaded going to work. I I enjoyed it mostly every day. Again, I wasn't like excited to show up for work every day, (laughs) but it was just in my blood. I just enjoyed it. I enjoy the challenges of it.
1: That's a good thing you were in the guard during that time, because mm-hmm. that was the big riff, right? Yeah. It was the big yeah. BSI offer yep. and everything. And else,
0: we were so. getting a lot of good pilots from that too. Oh, and good. some, and yeah. some good commission officers from that too.
1: Did they let you double billet guys or, uh, or did they stay pretty hard? No, they're on, pretty,
0: they're pretty yeah, hard okay. on your, your authorized slots and yeah. stuff like that. I mean, the state controls some of that, but you're, they, they have certain numbers they have to manage to be of accountable to DOD. Yeah. So you can't, you know, you can't double slot a lot of people. Yeah. You can do it once in a while. But anyway, so <laughs> right. I'm, so, so, so back to my story. So I'm the assistant S3 for, I don't know, 18 months or something like that. And then, uh, gosh, I should have studied my, uh, my timeline <laughs> here with you. After that, I think I actually got pulled out of the battalion to do some non aviation career broadening stuff. Oh yeah. In fact, this is, this is it. I'm, Okay. Well, major is perfect so I get goes. yeah I get promoted to major and the uh, the state it was the state aviation officer at the time I think yeah it was a state aviation officer at the time he pulls me in, he's a full colonel he pulls me into his office and says hey Chris you know you, you've done a fine job it's time for you to get a non-aviation assignment you know all yeah. aviators get some suppose, kind of yeah. outside of branch stuff right. which is good in hindsight it's really good actually And uh, I would encourage junior officers to do the same now. Mm. But at the time, it's like, oh, crap. I got to leave flying and being a good aviation guy. That's not going to help me. Um, But he said, hey, we're starting up this new team at the request of the Department of Defense. There's only eight of them in the country. Wow. And Colorado's got one of them. It's called a WMD response team. Hmm. Weapons of Mass Destruction Response Team. So this is... This is prior to 9-11. This is when the Tokyo uh, sarin gas oh, happened. Yeah. you remember that? Yeah, sure. So did. this is all this stuff is happening at one time. So the Tokyo subway bombing with the uh, cult that yeah. used sarin gas yeah. happened, and then some ricin attacks happened, and all of a sudden, right. you know, the big Department of Defense is saying, "Wait a minute, we don't have a we don't have a tool." for this problem. We just don't. We got these big chemical brigades in the army, yeah. but they're not fine-tuned. They can't no. support some FBI guy on a case in Denver, et cetera, et cetera. And we need these things. So they build, they really kind of rushed to build these, maybe it was 10. It was 10. 10. Well,
1: didn't Hussein gas the Kurds around that Yeah, time? yeah, yeah.
0: They, well, he did, let's see, his can't war. remember that time. Yeah, his right? war was over in like 1990 I think or it was it 80 to 90 something like that his so yeah he, I mean he had used gas on the Kurds there yeah. was no debate about that yeah, maybe I but it was his civilian things that were happening these these things that were not warfare Yeah. but they were clearly like they were
1: getting them in the mail yeah some yeah those, ricin uh, in, uh, yeah, in the
0: mail yeah. the sarin attacks okay. on the subway there was another couple instances which my memory escapes me now but it was enough that it got the leadership of the country to say Hey, Department of Defense, you need to develop a solution for this because we don't we don't really have wow, one.
1: That's pretty we neat. have
0: to be able to identify this stuff and quickly get on the ground yeah. and help our local law enforcement and you know responders sure. determine what this is and the dangers, do the initial cordons and all that stuff. So these teams were absolutely nothing to do with aviation. We Colorado got one of I think it was eight in the beginning. Now every state has one, and oh, some states do. have two. Because they're so, they've proven so useful. Huh. So it's a small 22 person team. It was army and air. It was a joint team, huh. which was unique at the time. Actually, purple. it was a purple unit <laughs> and uh, it was commanded by a lieutenant colonel who in this case was an air force officer. So the army side of the guard says, Hey, we need a deputy commander. You're, you're pinning on major. The deputy commander slots an O4 wow. major. Chris, will you go help build this team for us? Well, sir, yeah, of course. It sounds yeah. exciting, and uh, and it was. It was really exciting and interesting. Sure. They sent us to the Defense Nuclear uh, Schoolhouse. They sent us to the EPA's uh, hazmat training. The best of the best, like chemical, biological, and nuclear training yeah. that the country had to offer. Wow. So we're at, these twenty-two people are like starburst pattern around the country in schools for like the first year. I mean, give or take a few weeks here for the first year. We're just getting all our credentials. They were building the, we're building the doctrine. This is brand new. So I was actually sent to the Pentagon to work for the, I think I'm pretty sure it was the Army G3 at the time to write, to help write doctrine for this new, what became the civil support team. Now your audience may have heard of CSTs. So these CSTs, so, yeah. these civil support teams, were first called WMD response teams or uh WMD teams or something, but they didn't like the name. Oh, no, they were called RAID teams. RAID. Yeah, they didn't like the name after about a year, but they were called RAID teams. So we've, we set up RAID teams. That was in the initial <laughs> congressional language and everything, RAID teams. Oh, wow. RAID was an acronym for Rapid Assessment Initial Detection. <laughs>
1: Easy. But it
0: sounded too like offensive military stuff, so they changed the name. <laughs> To civil support teams. So anyway, I'll just use the term CST. So on these CSTs, so I'm in the Pentagon as a brand new major, just coming back, a bunch of training. And we're, you know, we're doing our own little FTXs and trying to figure this stuff out. And we're building our network with the FBI and the EPA. Oh, sure. And the governor's office, emergency management folks. And uh, even along the way, we're getting some hits like mission calls. Oh. Hey, we've got a white suspicious powder Blah, blah, blah. Can you deploy your team to, you know, it was a real, because they had a short circuit authority basically that most DOD units would never have. Yeah. Because again, it was kind of written in the legislation from Congress. We're building these teams so you can support local law enforcement. They're not war fighting assets per se. They are built to do domestic operations. Yeah. So we had the, you know, we had easier authority. So the FBI could literally call, which they did. Multiple times, even in the first eighteen months, huh. we met him on scene with a mobile lab oh, to determine yeah. what the white powders are and the other stuff. We had sophisticated machines and tools and measuring wow. equipment, really a neat capability, actually. Uh, so anyway, so that kept me busy for yeah. uh, a couple years. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, and it was interesting and it was fun and you know. But after two years, by the way, toughest strain on my marriage. At this point in my entire Uh army career. So Uh I'm now a major. You know, I've been doing, you know, the army thing, active duty guard, you know, and the guard is this whole nother dimension of challenge, right? It is. Because you're working the weekends and not just one a month, no matter what, Uh especially if you're a commander. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but this phase was the toughest phase on my marriage. So my wife is, you know, we have four small children at this point and i am gone to schools all the time. So it's not like I'm off fighting a war. No. So it's more difficult for the wife to say, you're gone all the time. And I got these four kids at home and this is really tough. And you're telling me you're going to, you know, you're going to some Fort Detrick to oh, go Dietrich, yeah. study something or what. Like, yes, dear, I got to go again. And it's just back to back to back to back. So that was the strain on the marriage. I was surprised by that. I was surprised. Oh, by yeah. Yeah. Surprised on. Just as a soldier, you think. Okay, if I deploy to war, it's gonna to be tough on my family. You don't think about going to schools; right, right. it just kind of blindsides that But you're just out. not home. Yeah, you're just not home. Yeah. Anyway, it's a side note, and we survived. Oh, it that's fine. Yeah. Thank God. But, yeah. But it was a surprise to me, actually. You just don't think about that stuff. I think
1: it's a it's it's surprising when it hits you because yeah. uh, I never went to a war. Yeah. But I certainly went out to my share of FTXs.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And like when I was in Schofield you know, you'd go out to the field for a little bit, but you would do two or three rotations because we were artillery yeah. to go over to the big island. Yeah. And those were three weeks at a time. And so you're like, well, I'm not deployed, but I'm sure gone from
0: home a lot. Sure gone a lot. You know? It's kind of the same thing for the spouse, you know? Yeah. It mean, just gone. So anyway, we got through that, thank God. And uh, everything's great. Good. I mean, it made our marriage stronger in the end for sure, but, but that wouldn't surprise me. It's yeah. just an interesting footnote for me. Um, but we did that and that was, that was a challenging time. You know, I'm on a short mission call. I think at this point we just, real had, world. Yeah. Real world. We yeah. just, I think at this point we just had pagers, oh, you know, but everyone yeah, has sure. a pager with a digital readout. Right. So you can type basic responses, but not everyone had the iPhone back then, you know, it just no, wasn't, it wasn't no, there yet. It wasn't there yet. And so we're all on pagers. Flip phones maybe. We're all on like a <laughs> four hour recall, like forever. Oh, imagine yeah? living your life under that.
1: Well, yeah, there's no other teams there's to no, turn at all. There's over
0: time, really right? no backup team. So yeah. it was really kind of a tough huh. period of life for just readiness and you know you're always on the green ramp. Yeah. You're always on the green ramp which as you know is a term for the 82nd is ready brigade <laughs> being being on notice but uh so that was difficult. But it was good. It was rewarding. I didn't really want to do it much after 2 years because I mean, not only the short leash stuff got got sort of old fast. Yeah. But you're also, you're starting to just do the same kind of, okay, respond to the scene, oh yeah get control, yeah help, you know, plug into the, plug into the normal uh, uh, on-scene command structure because it's run by either law enforcement or a fire department or yeah. the FBI or whatever. And you do that so many times, it's like, okay, great. You know, and then you're doing decon. You, sure. Those... You know, it's a lot of... It's like a lot of just. Did you ever get into
1: like say, Denver city planners? And you sit down with them as like, look, if you get attacked, here are some initial plans. That yes, get
0: yes, we did. We did that with the state office of emergency management. We did it with the College Springs office of emergency management. Okay. So we were all involved in that. In fact, one of the things we were really proud of is the relationship here in Denver with our civil support team. Yeah, and the and the supported agencies which were numerous, uh-huh. like I said, FBI, EPA, you name it, local Denver police, whatever, were just stellar, stellar oh, relationships. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's kind cool. of the model for the country. Yeah. Yeah. So it was oh. really, really good and satisfying, but you can only play in a kiddie pool for so long with, you know, uh-huh. decon and washing and uh-huh. donning and doffing equipment and yeah. running around in you know, full hazmat suits uh-huh. You know, I'm an aviator. I still want to go out and do my right. army war fight, fighting stuff. Yeah. So two years was great. I mean, I have no no regrets. It was a wonderful experience. But That looks good on the record, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, that's a added bonus, but
1: but I, I actually, actually liked
0: your, the challenge.
1: How did you maintain your flying status? I didn't.
0: Oh, no, yeah. No, I was a non-flying bill. Oh, I didn't yeah. get flight pay, nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't fly. So uh-huh. I was basically out of flying for two years. Um, I came back. They offered me a job coming back and I think at this point I'm plugging in as the, I think I'm plugging in as the battalion S3. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. I was assistant three, so I knew a little bit about Where was battalion located at? Buckley. Oh, it was. Okay. Most of the battalion was at Buckley. At this point, the entire battalion was at Buckley. Yeah. Yeah. So the flight companies, the maintenance company, the the, uh, uh, headquarters company, they're all at Buckley. So it's, that's nice. Yeah. You don't always get that in the guard. You could be spread out no, pretty, pretty wide. Yeah,
1: different cities.
0: Yeah, so it was good. So I take over as a Battalion 3, and I've uh, got a new commander, uh Joel Best, who was the HATS commander huh? for years yeah. up at Eagle. So, I mean, he knows his business. Yeah, He knows aviation. He's a great pilot, well-respected guy. And so we hit the ground running. We were quite a team. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because he had that warrior mentality too. And that's cool. So but we were out it's, training. It's weird
1: how... how Few opportunities present themselves where you're just like, yes, let's go, sir. We're running. Exactly.
0: Yeah, right. And he's holding you back instead of you know right. spurring you on. Right, right. So it was a great relationship. It was a good couple of years as his battalion three, a lot of good FTXs, a lot of good yeah. realistic, good training stuff. Um and then I, l- I had to leave aviation again. Now this is kind of a guard thing. No. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know, i've I've done I've done the battalion S three, which is, in my opinion, the most difficult job yeah, in sure. a battalion staff, because you're running Absolutely. the operations yeah. and planning for the whole battalion. So, uh, so after that, there was really nowhere for me to go. Hmm. So they made me the uh, headquarters commander, commandant of the Joint Force Headquarters in Colorado. So oh. this is an interesting step for me because, you know, I was pretty much in aviation totally understood aviation as best as a, a young major can, I guess.
1: Sure.
0: But now I get plucked out and put as the commander of the headquarters of the state. Now, now I don't want to, I want to make sure your listeners know, not in a humbling sense. I say commander because it's what you are in on paper, but every single one of the sections that you manage and have administrative command over is run by an 06, a colonel. Yeah. So it's a different kind of command. I mean, right. you know what an headquarters right. command is, but some of your listeners don't. Um, so you're dealing with all of the administrative yep. requirements, uh, the beha- you know, not behavioral problems, but the disciplinary requirements. You're doing all the stuff yeah, so you're that processing the, all that. Stuff, yeah, so right. that the headquarters can just function yeah. without all the distraction yeah. of logistics, supply, administration. You know, we ran the supply room, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. But the great the great thing about that as far as developing an officer is now I understand how the headquarters works. I understand now, yeah. how they think, how they plan, what's important to them, uh, you know, how they resource. So it was great learning experience for a guy who's going to hopefully do other things.
1: Did you at this point ever thought like, how far can I go? Did you just say, do you have a thought of like, I'm going to stay until they kick me out. And if I make it high, then great. If not, I mean, I, think, I enjoy what I'm doing. I think or? probably
0: a variation of that was, you know, I'm going to do this as long as I find it fulfilling, okay. yeah. and fulfilling and challenging enough that it keeps me going. Yeah. And I, and I truly mean those words, fulfilling and challenging. If it's not challenging, I'm not interested because I don't, you know, I don't do th- I don't do this to collect a paycheck. You didn't do it to collect a paycheck. Sure. Right. You know, right. there's something about military service that we loved. Yeah, that drives you. It drives you. Yeah. And so I want that drive. And the right. and the day I lose that drive, I'm done.
1: Yeah. Right?
0: That's really that was my
1: whole thing. Yeah, because it's unfair to the soldiers you're leaving. Exactly. Exactly. If you're not in
0: it. Exactly. So. so I got it again, doesn't mean I have to love it every day because no. some jobs you really have their moments. But overall, I like this. Yeah. I'm making a difference. I feel like I'm helping. I'm somehow building some yeah. readiness, some war fighting potential. If I can say that, I'm good. I'm staying. That was Joint it.
1: forces headquarters. Yeah.
0: Every state has a joint force headquarters. So
1: is that all the National Guard? It's
0: all the National Guard. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's run by a two-star in every state who reports to the governor. Oh, all right. So all right. the gov- the governor of every state has an adjutant general. Yeah. And that adjutant general is a member of the governor's staff, just like his, you know, secretary of uh, whatever, head of the, you name it, uh, the Department of Public Safety. Uh-huh. It's the same cabinet level governor oh, okay. job, yeah. right? Yeah.
1: yeah. When you say that. Uh, yeah. Right.
0: It's like the state treasurer. Well, no, it's an elected position, I think. But you get the point the cabinet level office of the governor. Yeah. But he is also the commander of the guard, both army and air in each wow. state. Yeah. So that two star has a headquarters because he has to, he or she has to run resource, manage, track, train, provision, yeah, and basically account for all this military property, <laughs> units, training. So when the you know when the balloon goes up, uh-huh. that governor can say to a, a well, in this case, Forcecom, yeah, because Forcecom, as you know, is providing units to warfighting commanders. So FORSCOM goes to the National Guard Bureau in D.C. and says, hey, tag of Colorado, can you uh, plan for an aviation battalion to deploy oh, next okay. year? We need goes. this type. Yeah. You have it. Can you do it? The governor talks to his, the adjutant general then talks to his governor and says, sir, we have this request from DOD. And, you know, it's all official stuff, too. But that's how it works. So the the task flows and the the, task flows and the guard unit does its final training and goes to mob station and deploys. Yeah. It it really works. And now, now after all these years of practice, it works really well. Right. Right. It works really well. Uh, In fact, you could say it's never worked better in the nation's history. Probably not. Except I would say in 1775, when the (laughs) militias converged on (laughs) <laughs> yes. On the redcoats right. b- marching to right. Concord, then it worked really well too.
1: Yeah, that that task was knocking on doors, saying, "Hey, we need you." To and it assemble. worked. Right. Man,
0: it worked. Yeah. That's a story in and of itself, but it's pretty <laughs> impressive. So, uh, so yeah, uh, I was, yeah. So I was commanding this headquarters de- detachment essentially in the Joint Force Headquarters. So I got to learn about all that stuff yeah. and how it all works, yeah. which. It's just a really neat opportunity. That's neat. Yeah. Because that is your headquarters. Everybody needs to know how your headquarters thinks. Yeah. How they plan. how they What's important to them. How do they how do they prioritize? It's, well, sure. It's all good learning.
1: It's, and then you throw in the guard side of that. Yeah. And there's a whole lot of different... Yeah. ...ways that they run versus the active
0: duty. Yeah. So I did that assignment. And I'm not going to bore you with every assignment because this is really... That's no. not the intent. When did you get Lieutenant Colonel? Sir? I got... I got... Uh, so... Here, So here's my lucky break. So I'm doing a couple of non-aviation assignments and, um, they are going to hold a board, a command selection board for the next aviation battalion commander. Oh. So of course I'm throwing my hat in that ring. Yeah. So I go through the interview process with a bunch of, uh, some already Lieutenant Colonel and I'm a major promotable. So department of army has said, Chris Petty is ready. You know, he's met all the requirements. Just need to bill it. Just need to bill it. And that's all that's a challenge in the guard. <laughs> yes, it is. Sometimes. So so of course I'm gonna compete for this. Lo and behold, out of like eight applicants that are all qualified, I get this election. Really? And I'm the youngest guy. It's not my turn. So it Ugh. it rubbed it bent a few noses out of joint. I bet. But that's fine. That's the way it should be. So uh so I got my I got my chance to command this battalion in in the one I took to Iraq in 2005. Wow. Yeah, highlight of my career. I mean, really. I mean, even though I went on and did some interesting things. Yeah. As a warrior, it's the highlight of your career when you could take a battalion Absolutely. to go and do real combat operations in a theater. Yeah. 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 So uh it was an exciting ride.
1: If you don't mind me asking yeah. real quick, just because it's a seminal moment for all of us of our age. Yeah. Um nine eleven. Yeah. Were you commanding the joint? No, uh,
0: 9-11, I can remember it distinctly like most of your listeners can. I was in the ready room at our CST, at our civil support team. Because, oh, okay. okay. Because there were so few teams that were certified as ready. Yeah. At this point, on 9-11-2001, and maybe I have my dates off with you, but I don't think so. 9-11-2001, our team is like one of two or three certified to do the mission nationally. Wow. So this is all they got. Yeah. So we are, we are like in the day room, ready room. It's like a normal morning. Yeah. We're getting ready to do some training and, you know, whatever we're doing that day. And, uh, also wait for the phone calls. Cause we were getting some by this point. And I remember coming, coming into the ready room and the guys are glued to the TV because the first plane had just crashed into, right. The, right. into the first, uh, world trade center building. And so, I mean, I just remember Stinkley's, Turning around and saying, "Uh, well, not the first plane. Once the second plane hit, because we all, yeah. thought, you know, and I'm an okay, aviator. Yeah, I'm thinking, yeah. okay, well, it's you know, happened. It before. Could happen. It's happened you know, the, it, past, uh, yeah. the pilot passes out. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking oh, that's possible. But the second plane, no. Right. Okay, right. All right, this is a terrorist act. This is something unusual. And I'm basically saying, okay, guys, pack your bags. We're gonna get on a C5, probably within eight hours, and be out on a plane to New York City." So we were planning for it. Sure. And I think I think we got a call to be ready after we had that little conversation yeah. internally. The plane never came because no. <laughs> I think they scraped together the team that was getting ready in New York and, oh, got, okay. and got them there in time to help Jeez, assess how, how, you know, how hazardous the cloud was and all that kind of stuff. Because right. our instruments could tell what was in that cloud, you know, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, it was really high-speed stuff. So we didn't go. But anyway, that's where I was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I hope I didn't have my dates too off with you. No, yeah, that's I just but the general storyline still holds. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, and then you realize, oh, nobody in the country was flying, so you yeah, weren't going to go Yeah, anyway, right? Exactly.
0: Yeah. Well, we would go on a C five though. Yeah, we would definitely be going on a C five.
1: Who uh, who pinned you on, uh, Lieutenant Colonel? Uh,
0: like the official pinning. Sure. My wife. Oh, good. Yeah, of course.
1: Who was your officer presiding on it?
0: It was um, my brigade commander. Uh, Dana oh, yeah, Dana Capuzella. Huh. She's the one that kind of made that final selection on taking a chance on this younger promotable 04 to command. Yeah. So I'll always thank her for that. Wow. Yeah. She took a little bit of a risk on me. I guess you, you gotta be s- cloud nine. Yeah. Right? Cloud nine. So I'm, I take command of this battalion. It's a dream come true because, you know, I wasn't really thinking about, Going to war at this point? i No, just you thinking, got hey, way
1: too much, right?
0: I'm a battalion commander, man. Yeah. This is the dream. I had this dream at West Point.
1: Because now you're looking at readiness stats. Everything, now you're looking at manning stats. Everything.
0: It's all mine. Oh, it's like yeah. okay, now I, now I've got a you battalion. may not have
1: hand receded anything, <laughs> but now you're responsible. <laughs> That's <for> right.
0: Everything. <laughs> so uh, that was exciting, and um but pretty soon after I took command, we we heard rumors that we were going to be in the In the call on the call list to go to Iraq. Yeah. Yeah. And then it just came to pass because as I mentioned, national guard bureau headquarters in Washington, the normal unit that was going to be called was in Utah. They weren't ready. They were going through a reorganization that we were too. same, same transformation of an aviation battalion because it's army wide. Yeah. But they weren't going to be ready, which is no no sin against them. It happens. But they said, hey, can we defer? That's, oh, okay. They, can we defer? Yeah. And Guard Bureau said, well, basically, let me check. <laughs> so they called the next date with one of these special, they're called GSAPs, General Support Aviation Battalions. And the reason they're so special and sought after is because they have medevac Blackhawks, regular Blackhawks, like assault Blackhawks, and command Blackhawks, yeah. and Chinooks. Wow. So you got this package of aviation that's like an aviation brigade in, yeah. in miniature. So huh. every theater commander everywhere wants a GSAP because there's the versatility. Right? Nobody else has it. You yeah. got medevac, which yeah. is, you have to have medevac, right? I got medevac, regular assault and command Blackhawks and Chinooks. I want one of those. <laughs> I got to have one of those. So anyway, there's, there weren't enough GSAPs in the army. So we knew we were going to get called. Okay. The question is, When I get called when I was the commander. And you (laughs) did. And I did. I just got lucky. (laughs) I just got lucky. Honestly, just lucky. Wow. So uh, that was, I mean, that story, Marty, would take hours. I'm writing a book on that story. Really? Yeah, I am. Good. Because it is is a story of a bunch of American patriots who are part-time guardsmen spread around the country. Because this... By this time, this battalion with its reorganization is now in six states. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got to I remember that. We've got to bring Nebraska in. They're half of our medevac company. Oh, okay. Is in Nebraska. We okay. got to bring them in. We got to bring half of our Chinook company from Minnesota in. Oh. Man. And and as luck would have it, as bad luck would have it, sort of, our Alpha Company, which is our standard Blackhawk company, yeah, had deployed earlier. Because the 101st needed a Blackhawk company. So they augmented their aviation brigade with one of our Blackhawk companies. So they were pulled out of our formation before we got the alert. Yeah. So now I'm plugging in Utah's Alpha Company because Utah felt compelled, right? Because they were the ones that bowed out.
1: But they had their... But they
0: had their Alpha Company ready and they were fine. They were excellent. Yeah. Excellent. That's the company I flew with most because I'm a Blackhawk guy. Okay. So those guys, I got to know backwards and forwards. Excellent aviation unit. Wow. So I'm glad Utah was ponied up that unit. Anyway, that is a, a challenge. That is a story in and of itself. I don't know how deep you want to go on this one, but I am writing a book. It's my journal of that experience.
1: Well, we'll just, we'll assume you got it all together okay. and went over. So okay. we'll wait for the other experience and we'll do a, we'll do a interview just about your book. Yeah. You it's
0: say? uh yeah. The, the problem is with battle digest. It might take a few years, but, <laughs> That's okay. but I'm committed it's to right. doing it. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's going to be a good book, especially if you're an aviator, you're going to be, I think. Well, possibly, but you,
1: you pull in so many, I mean, aviation, everybody knows regular or yeah. active duty. Yeah. Regular army. Yeah. But, very few understand how the guard and reserve yep. mobilize and get yep. together and go do that, That's and right. the challenges. The of challenges
0: of that are immense, but yet, because of these, because of these experienced aviators, because the guard at this point, and I think throughout most of the history of aviation, actually in guard, in the guard, you've got more experience in the guard. You got more experienced right. pilots. Right. I mean, these are people that fly for a living. Right. They fly the Channel Nine. News copter when they're not drilling on the weekend right. they're they're flying for Continental Airlines or what was Continental well, I remember Airlines. the
1: one fortieth Fighter Wing up there always yeah. was winning awards yeah because it was the same group of pilots right always right. Doing so you have
0: this there. great talent yeah you just got to build the structure around it and the systems to to really integrate it into Army operations which yeah. was half the fun for me because I like that stuff but it was a rewarding re- total roller coaster. And I'll just give you a couple highlights. So, so, as luck would continue to strike on my watch, so we get to Iraq and- um, 2005? 2006. 2006. So okay. So mid-2005, we get the alert yeah. that we're going to go. So we get the train up. I'm at, a whole other story. So we get mobilized to Fort Hood. Okay. We're at Fort Hood. I'm at Fort Hood for eight months. Wow. Yeah, because it was the first ever- combat aviation brigade deployed huh. from the guard so i was one okay. of five battalions yeah coming under Jeez. the 36th combat aviation brigade from texas all right. so we got all the attention that the army could possibly muster in helping us deploy <laughs> <laughs> if you get my drift I do. oh they were helping everywhere So it dragged on and on and on. Some of it was very good, but I've got some real critique on, you know, some of it was overkill. I don't don't know what that is.
1: I've talked to some of my other buddies too, right? When you go from uh, regular Army and you're talking Guard Reserve, Mm -hmm. I don't know why when I was regular Army, I was like, "Ah, those guys, you know, you think they're second class, Yeah, you think, yeah. So Um, did I. For a short I don't time. know why we do that. It, it, it's, it's it's just it's it's part of natural our natural order.
0: pride. Yeah. You're, hey, yeah. I'm an active duty army guy. Right. We have to be better than the guard because they only train 39 days a year, 40 49 days a year.
1: Right. Right. right? We
0: have to be better. It's natural. Yeah. I did it too.
1: I'm doing it full time. You right. get to go home. They your, can't be as good as like, me. Hold on, guy. Or
0: I'm not. He gets I th- to
1: go home to his other job. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know? so. Exactly.
0: So it's natural. Yeah. I hold no grudge with that. I did it too. But what I learned is the guard is such an amazing value for the dollar. Absolutely. yeah. I mean, you you and I both know, and I've done studies on this, I wrote articles on this, that a typical guard formation at whatever level, mm-hmm. unless you're up to like full armor brigades, you know that then the cost is different. But at almost any level, the guard costs a third. Sure. A third of the yeah. cost of an active duty unit equivalent. Right. Now, I'm not going to argue with you for a second that the active duty unit is going to be better prepared to get on an airplane and go fight. I'm not going to argue that. Yeah. But for a third of the cost,
1: cost alone, you know, I can, can get EV this
0: unit that, if it's if it's got good leadership. It's all it's all contingent on good yeah, leadership. Right, right. If this unit has good leadership, which means the state really gives a shit. And the state really cares because they appoint good commanders and all that. If this unit's got good leadership in 90 days or 60 days, I can get that unit out the door fighting shoulder to shoulder with its active duty equivalent. I can. Yeah, absolutely. It may not be the 2nd Brigade of the 82nd Airborne. That's not really my point. My point is they are good soldiers, motivated soldiers, pretty damn well trained. They can get out the door in about 90 days with some extra fine tuning and they're going to be a great damn army outfit. Yeah. Again, contingent on the leadership. They're back a viable point. force. They are point. for right. a third of the cost. Right. I mean, right. there's just, it's the envy of the world, really. Nobody has a guard structure like we do. No, that's true. Yeah.
1: That's true.
0: And as budgets get tighter, DOD's resources are going to shrink big time. They're going to get squeezed. Yeah. It's inevitable. The Guard is just such a value for the citizens of this country. So enough of my advertisement. Yeah. But I was like you. They can't be as good as us. I They're... Now, I will say, as, as I alluded to in my earlier story, they were, they did, they have cultural ups and downs, just like the Army did. Yeah. Remember the Army after Vietnam? I mean, come on.
1: It was horrible it was up full until full of drugs and race right?
0: and, riots and yeah. yeah. So everybody ebbs and flows. Yeah. But after 9-11, the Guard, I mean the dead weight got forced to the sidelines. Absolutely. They couldn't, you right. couldn't keep up. Right. So the guards are different. thing. And
1: the fact that those who were willing in the guard to take some of those, like in lieu of assignments yeah. to
0: go over there. Yeah. I mean,
1: I think most of our convoys were guard. Yeah. Guard. Yeah, exactly.
0: They wanted to go. Yeah. So anyway, um,
1: I, I, if we ever have time, I'll tell you my poor guard story. Yeah. About there are those two Our roundup yeah. artillery brigade. Yeah. So
0: yeah. And they're and I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that they're not out there either for sure. No. But again, it's all, it's all contingent on that commander back home. It's amazing. I've learned that for that is clear as day for me. Right. Um, But the the reason I went on that tangent was the other thing that makes this story very interesting for me. And maybe if we can get into it more later is the mission that we drew because we were part of this, Theater Aviation Brigade. Mm-hmm. So we reported to the NMCI, the Multinational Command Iraq commander. So the divisions were managing battle space, right? Right. So you had the 25th Division up north managing and their aviation aviation brigade was based in Spiker and okay. they were doing all their operations out of Tikrit, Spiker. Oh yeah. But we were based in Balad working for the theater, M- MNCI. Oh and, and I, of all people, lucky as I am sometimes, my mission set when I get to Iraq is not the typical missions of a command brigade that's like flying the VIPs around and doing some oh, resupply. Yeah. Guess who I support for the entire year? Joint Special Operations Command out of Balad.
1: You're kidding.
0: So I drew the Ace of Spades in my assignment in Iraq. It's wow. like, you mean. And, and quite honestly, uh, and uh, I'm going to teeter on the edge here, Task Force 160 was just out of juice. I mean, there, the demand for Task Force really? 160th yeah. was exceeded the supply by a large margin. Yeah. So yeah. the Joint Special Operations Command put together their own structure to do the things they did in Iraq, which I know I can't, I got to be careful yeah. about yeah. talking about. But we became... Not task force one sixtieth, we became sort of an augmentation because honestly, Task Force One Sixtieth couldn't do it. Sure. They didn't have the airframes or the men and women to do it. Oh yeah. So we got that it was mission. That much. Yeah, it was God. that much. So yeah. so for a for a battalion commander going to war as an aviator, you couldn't have asked for a more challenging oh, mission. No. So we are doing massive air assault operations at night across the entire Iraq battle space wow. Wow. supporting joint special o- that I'll just use, I'll tell you what, I'll use McChrystal's language because he got his vetted by, you know, the, okay. Yeah. Yeah. For the task force. Okay. So yeah. I'm doing air assaults across Iraq every third night, Wow. massive air assaults with, you know, c 130s yeah. circling fighter planes above, lighten up the lz's. Sheesh. I'm doing that for a year, like one of these every 3 or 4 nights. So you talk about a battalion of aviators just giving it the the all. Yeah, this is a guard unit. I mean they the already burn, of, they already
1: burned out sore. So now Yeah, <laughs> so this is a
0: guard unit yeah. in the middle of what I would say is the most uh intense part of the war, doing one of the most yeah. technical operations of the war to support the the task force. Yeah, yeah. To use General McChrystal's term. Sure. So McChrystal's the one who wrote my award. <laughs>
1: really? Yeah, really. Wow. Right.
0: So this is just luck. This is just luck wow. of a battalion commander with a decent unit that's ready to do yeah. the mission.
1: Yeah. Wow, but you were ready for the moment.
0: We were ready for the moment, as best you can be. When the Army gives you the resources to do it, and leaders take it seriously, which our guys did. We were ready to do it.
1: You know, it's where I, I I tried. I tried to go to Panama. They took the other company. We were luck. waiting to go to luck. Desert Storm. We, they didn't take our division. Luck, and it, it is it's and, luck. And It's weird uh, how those play out. I
0: know? will never pound my chest too hard uh, because I was a month away, two months away from never being able to go to combat my entire life. That's right. As a guy who went to West Point. As a guy who had every intention to be a lifelong soldier.
1: And you were stuck at NTC. I was <laughs> stuck
0: at NTC. If I wouldn't have got off active duty, here's how the cards of you know the the isn't that crazy. The the the, the, the hand of God, yeah. the destiny. Yeah. If I hadn't left NTC and got off active duty, I never would have been a commander in wow. combat. Wow. But my point is, I'm not a chest pounding guy because I just got lucky. My timing when I got picked for command, yeah. That battalion five months later was alerted. There I go. That's wonderful. The boss yeah. that I was his S three for yeah. would have been a fantastic battalion commander, and I know it still bothers him that he wasn't the guy. Sure, right? Sure. I just got lucky.
1: Well, that's. I mean, you're humble about that, but you obviously your performance put you in, put you in some positions yeah. that you could take advantage of. Yeah, that, you have you to know? be
0: prepared. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Was it opportunity meets uh, oh, that's saying yes, yeah, Yeah, I know luck equals opportunity plus plus preparedness, preparedness. yeah, Yeah, exactly, right? Right. You got to have the opportunity though,
1: that well, you
0: do, yeah, um, but
1: uh, it's a
0: great, it's a great story, it's a God, that's really... It's a fantastic story of a bunch of aviators and maintainers. So one night, I'll give you one snippet. Okay. So one night, we're deep in the operations. And now you know what I mean by deep. I mean, we're coming, we're coming, uh, we're going out every night and the guys that are doing all the round robin missions, you know, typical command and control, ferrying shuttles around, ferrying people around soldiers to different fobs and doing basic resupplies and all that right. Blackhawks are flying all over Iraq every day so when these guys are getting up in the morning to start their mission planning at 6 a.m yeah they're walking by our helicopters on the ramp going what the? they're caked with mud like mud inside the airframe three inches deep Whoa. because of the soldiers getting in and yeah. out out of muddy Lzs and these guys are just looking at our helicopters like what the hell are these guys doing every night, you know? Sure. And it was just that way every every single day. Wow. Yeah. Your op temple was, it was through crazy. the roof. It was crazy. It was crazy. In fact, I calculated, because uh, I kept track of all the numbers of missions, the, this little battalion of, I think at the time we had 46 helicopters total, uh-huh. and that counts medevac, so they weren't doing air assaults. Um, this battalion inserted... Fifteen thousand paratroopers on objectives at night in a year. Wow! One one little battalion, fifteen thousand. What a fantastic
1: troops. number to come yeah. up with! My yeah. God!
0: I mean, one night in Mosul, we put five hundred fifty troops in downtown Mosul within forty-five minutes. Wow! Yeah, five five hundred fifty troops Jeez, from that's... the eighty-second airborne in downtown that's Mosul air mobile air cat night. stuff yep. right, right yeah yeah it was big time so Ooh, holy. i mean it was no that's that's beyond it was uh mean. it was exciting it was, <laughs> it was a very rewarding experience actually we had our setbacks and yeah you know i know looking back at the war we all go well was that such a great idea you know maybe not but at the time uh, you got to fight at, at the, the time, time you know right? i'm fighting the fight and yeah. i'm in the good fight yeah and we are kicking ass enabling our ground guys to go do How? good that's, things that would be a I yeah. book. So one night I get back off of one of these missions Yeah. and I go to the maintenance. Uh, uh What were they called? You know, you remember those big aircraft shelter Haas. It was called a Haas. Oh, a Haas. it was, it was yeah, the old I aircraft remember. concrete. Yeah. yeah. Your listeners have seen pictures of these because they're all bombed out. They have a right. precision bomb right. hole through the roof with the rebar hanging down. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, our maintenance company Delta company is in this thing and they're, they're just busting ass every night. Because the demand for helicopters is outrageous. You know, I have to have so many helicopters flying every day. Because if I don't, I'm going to hear about it from General McChrystal, okay? I mean, that's (laughs) what I'm doing. And uh, so, anyway, I go there one night. And these guys, it's like 4 o'clock in the morning. And it's regular shift. They're kicking ass. I get everyone together for a little formation. And, uh, you know, I'm just like, hey, guys, I just want to tell you about the mission tonight. You know, no one had ever done this to them before. Yeah. You know, I mean, kind of obvious, right? I'm the commander. I should do it. So I I get, I get them together and I say, I just want to tell you about the mission last night and what we did because of you guys, because of what you guys are doing to keep these helicopters flying. And then the incredible op tempo you guys are supporting. I said, last night we did this and this and this. And we, we, we flew these 14 hostages who are about to get killed in this little dungeon of torture. We flew them to safety and we also seized this uh, blood money on the objective. Our infantry guys did it. I mean, yeah. not us, but that's what we enabled. And I said, when we flew off the objective, here's a bag of Iraqi dinars. This was seized from that house last night. Oh, I said, I'm going to hand everybody a few of these coins and I know it doesn't mean much. It's yeah. not like a lot of money because Iraqi dinar is like worth a, a hundredth of a penny or something right, like right. that. But to give these guys a coin, you know a few of these coins, real money, hard money, off of that objective last night from the mission that they supported, just connected them to the war, connected them to the war. Yeah, that is so smart because they're working their ass off.
1: That's so smart, morale
0: Yeah, little things like that. Yeah. I tried to sprinkle through the the battalion wherever I could. You know, I had to go visit medevac sites far yeah. off.
1: That's so good.
0: But it's so rewarding. It was such a
1: an experience. But, it, but for some. That's a big hassle to yeah, go do that.
0: Of course, because I just got back from a mission. I'm tired. <laughs> yeah. I'm tired. I want to go to bed because I got to get up in eight hours, you know, six hours. Right. But yeah, no, it was. That's awesome. But there were stories like that that just, I'll, I'll never forget. Huh? I, I know it meant something to those guys.
1: On behalf of General Petty, I'd like to thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please leave a like and a comment and share the podcast with someone else. And as always, make sure to download the next episode for more Service Origin Stories. So until next time, Autange! Who? Fallout!